Well, let's turn in our Bibles, shall we, to the Gospel of John. I feel absolutely thrilled at the prospect of uh, preaching through this Gospel uh, and utterly terrified at the prospect of John chapter 1 this evening. So as you're turning to John chapter 1, we're going to pray. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find John 1, 1 to 18, on page 1063. We are going to sneak over to John chapter 20, and that's on page 1090 as well. So why don't you stick your finger in there, and then we'll pray together. Lord, how indeed our hearts need reviving. How we need that wisdom of yours. How we need and look forward to that joy that your word, your statutes, your precepts bring to us. Open our blind eyes. Illumine our hearts. Divine word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to the John 20, 31 first. If you want... A text uh, which gives you insight into the whole point and purpose of the Gospel of John. Why are we walking? Why did John write this? For what purpose? Why are we going through this as a church in these evening services? For what purpose? John chapter 20 verse 31 tells us. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See what we have before us here? Throughout this Gospel of John, John is going to present for us evidence. And what we see in so many of the characters that we will be introduced to throughout this Gospel, we see them come to faith. And then we see what proceeds from that faith, eternal life nonetheless. Evidence, faith, eternal life. Evidence, faith, eternal life. That's what we're going to see all the way through. It is a stunning picture. If you get a chance, uh, read through the Gospel of John in a wonder. It is terrific, terrific. Let's turn back over to John chapter 1 as we deal with verses 1 to 18 this evening. Here's what God's Word has to say to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
yet. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amen. This is God's word. Well, I think it's true to say that the extent to which we can know a person depends on how much they choose to reveal themselves, wouldn't you say? We can see this played out in real life, can't we? Uh, even in our, uh, our own culture, we know very little about some people, even people who, uh, who are our neighbours that we stay next to and have done so for years. I mean, I dare say many of us do live beside people that we hardly know, and indeed they hardly know us. And that tends to be because we choose to limit how much we reveal about ourselves to those around us. But then again, I suppose the extreme of of that is that you get some people who are very, very recluse, who in the name of privacy keep themselves to themselves. And there's something of a Britishness, there's something of a pride about that, isn't there? Oh yes, we like to keep ourselves to ourselves. But then the The upshot of that is that we can end up missing out on what we call real community. We can miss out on knowing and being known and miss out on loving and being loved. I wonder if that's your experience. Or I wonder if your experience is the complete opposite of that. And I say that because nowadays we are seeing an unprecedented phenomenon of what we could call just self-disclosure. Self-revelation. Never before, I think, have so many people known so much about other people. And it's all thanks to the surge in communications over the last 50 years, and in particular, over the last decade. Multi-billion dollar companies like Twitter and Facebook have been introduced with the express purpose of helping you let your friends and family know what's going on in your life minute by minute by minute. Even to the extent where you can record the fact that I am now going to bed. Who cares? Just go to bed. Uh, Tell us what you dreamt about in the morning, mind you. But, you know, I mean, hands up. Who has Facebook? And who has Twitter? Look at all those hands. No one's tweeting. I feel lonely. You see what's happening though? We see what's happening here. 
our friends and our family members, school friends, colleagues, we are, we are throwing off this Britishness, this polite restraint, relaxing grip on privacy, not keeping ourselves to ourselves. And with every text, with every status update, we are getting to know each other, when we use it usefully, better. It's true that the extent to which we can know a person depends on how much they choose to reveal about themselves. And I want to say to you, as we begin our studies in John's Gospel, the very same principle is true of God. Okay, the very same principle is true of God. The extent to which we can truly know God is entirely dependent upon his self-revelation and his self-disclosure. It depends entirely on how much he chooses to make himself known. And the good news, the great news of John's gospel is that God has been pleased not to keep himself to himself, but to reveal himself through what we have in John 1 as reference to as the Word. The capital W word. And how indeed has this word been revealed to us? Look down with me. Keep it open in front of you. Look at verse 14. The word, who is a person, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is incredible. I'm going to preach this and I'm just going to feel inadequate after it, okay? But this is rich. This is mind-blowing, what we're going to think about in this text today. Because what you have here are two main things. And on these two things, I'm going to camp on, okay? Number one, God has made himself known. And A and B in there are, he has demonstrated for us his nature, revealed his nature and revealed his activity. So God has made himself known through his nature and his activity. And secondly, God has made his purposes known. He's telling us exactly why he has disclosed himself. So number one, God has made himself known. By his very nature, we read in verses one to three, Quite simply, God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. In him all things have come to be. Without him, nothing exists that was not his, of his making. He is the author and sustainer of creation. Verses 1 to 3, look with me again. In the beginning was the words... And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You see how he is the progenitor, the creator of all things. In him is life. In him, Paul tells us in Colossians 1.17, all things hold together. He takes his hand off the steering wheel it all unravels. Disastrous. He's the creator. He holds all things together. 
And we are told plainly later on in this text that the one who, the word who became flesh, who is full of grace and truth, is none other than Jesus Christ. That's what you see in verse 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The capital W word, in other words, is Jesus. The man whom even the, forgetting the Bible just now, the annals of history of Jewish and Roman historians account for this man, Jesus of Nazareth, walking the earth. Well, who is this man? Well, John 1 tells you. John 1 tells you quite clearly. He, 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 is, he is God in flesh. He is God come down. He was with the Father in the beginning. And here we're just starting to get into, within a few verses of the complexity of the Trinity... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexisting, co-equal as one God. He was with the Father in the beginning. Indeed, as verse 2 tells us, uh, verse, verse 1 tells us, the word Jesus, in other words, was God. He was with God in the beginning. Is your mind already mixed up? Welcome to my world. Honestly. It's incredible stuff. Jesus Christ, the man who walked this earth a little over 2,000 years ago, is the pre-existence, pre-time, eternal Son of God, creator of all things. Have you read C.S. Lewis? You read, read, is it The Magician's Nephew, where, where you have Aslan just in nothingness and taking steps and just things green things, grass, trees, everything just growing out from him. Giving us that picture of God as a creator, that's the kind of picture I had in my mind as I thought about this. Without Jesus, nothing has been made that has been made, which means he wasn't made. Ah, you see, you're confused. I hope not. It's important. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, existing throughout, before time. It's incredible. He has formed the world, sustains it by his limitless power, governs it by his perfect wisdom, preserves it in his goodness, rules with justice and judgment, bears with us his people in mercy. There is not one particle of light, wisdom, justice, power, truth, anywhere to be found which does not flow from him and from which, of which he is not the cause. Humankind, in other words, as a result of who he is as the creator and the sustainer of all things, we owe him everything. We belong to him. And he is not only the giver of our physical life. We read that he is the giver of spiritual life. Verse 4, in him was life. That life was the light of men. Speaking of illumination, true life. That verse really relates to what comes after. So it's not just referring to the fact he's created physical life. It's setting you up for the fact that not only is he the creator and sustainer of physical life, well, he's the creator and sustainer of all spiritual life too. That's his nature. Eternally, the Son of God What's his activity? What has he done? Why he's made himself known. He's communicating the fact that John chooses to make reference to Jesus here as 
the word tells us straight away, really, of his desire to communicate with us. The word is, of course, used throughout the Old Testament in different ways to to reflect the fact that God creates, that God saves, that God helps, that God heals. His word goes out. It achieves what it was sent out to do. The point is, we are getting ready. John is getting ready to let everybody know who reads his gospel and who hears it preached that God is a speaking God. And he's seeking to communicate with us, his people, so graciously. From the very beginning of our reading, John's testimony is that the words of and actions of Jesus Christ that we will explore together over the course of this year in John's gospel, here are the very words and the very actions of God. (laughs) It's incredible. How do we know that? Because in verse 14, look again with me, the word Jesus, the eternal son of God, became flesh, made his dwelling among us, We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The fact that God came, he dwelt among us. The the imagery there is of God pitching his tent with us. Again, not just the word as an expression of his self-revelation, but he is coming himself. Imagine the creator taking on the form of the created to communicate his gospel, his good news, his reality, and his redemption to a people who are lost, who are in darkness, and who are blind. It's incredible. What better way for us to get to know God? I mean, here's an illustration. Um, I could tell you about my wife, Catherine. I could tell you who she is. I could tell you uh, when her birthday is, I could, I could, uh, I could, honest, uh, I, I could tell you various things about her, I could tell you the things she loves, uh, I could tell you the things she hates, uh, I, could, I could tell you all about her, but even my, you know, having an hour or a day or a week to tell you all about Catherine Garvey, it just would not be enough to tell you who she is, but you come and lodge with us for a day, for a week, for a month, you know, and live with us. You'll get to see who she is. You'll get to know her. You'll get to know who I am, etc. This is not an advertisement. Um, <laughs> the point is, if you pitch your tent with someone, you go and live with something, you're communicating your desire to get to know them and opening yourself, expressing the fact that you are willing, indeed you are eager for them to get to know you. Do you see where I'm coming from? See what it means for the word to become flesh and pitch his tent with his people. This is what God has done with us. I love John Stott writing on this. Incomparable, really. It's just super. God, he says, who made humans became one himself. The creator assumed the weakness of his own creature. He who is eternal entered time. The all-powerful made himself vulnerable. The all-holy subjected himself to temptation. And in the end, the immortal died. That's good. It's incredible. It's mind-blowing. And John means for us to read this gospel 
with the fact that the eternal God has become a man to communicate himself, to make himself known for self-revelation purposes. It's what it's all about. And it is, it, it is mind-blowing. We're supposed to read this now humbly, submissively, awestruck that the man that we'll read about at the wedding in Cana, the, the, the man who speaks to, uh, the man who's desperately trying to, get, to the, uh, get into the pool of Bethesda, is the creator of the universe. It is mind-boggling, but it is plain. And we might have written in this gospel in such a way that, that kind of subtly lets you in on Jesus' identity so that it grows on you a little bit and doesn't just kind of boom, hit you. Indeed, something of the way that Luke's gospel is introduced. Okay, yeah, Jesus is a man. He's born as a baby. He's a man. Then he goes on to be a teacher. Then, oh no, actually he's a prophet. No, he's a king. No, no, wait a minute. He is the son of God. But John just hits you with it right from the very beginning. It's as if John says, the very first words I will write will impact on you and will stun you that the Almighty God has taken on flesh. See his nature, see his activity. And see what this means for our series in the Gospel of John. It means week after week we are going to spend time getting to know God as we get to know Jesus. So do you want to know God? Can you know God? My friends have asked me that before. Can you really know God? I mean, some have even quoted to me the, the little passage from 1 Timothy 6. Oh, you know, God lives in, in unapproachable light. He's invisible. How can we possibly know God? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. God is making God known. This is what verse 18 is about. So much of this is just, this 1 to 18 is just tied up in verse 18. Look at it with me. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. For the first time in the history of the universe, God has been fully revealed by the one who is in intimate union with God. That is God the Son and God the Father. He is knowable through the one and only Jesus Christ who has made God known. Don't you get this? Don't you want to share this with your friends? The knowledge of God is within your grasp. It's not some ethereal concept. It's not something that you need to hunt for by looking deeply into yourself. It's not to be pursued by any other means where Jesus is ignored or whereby Jesus' godness is diminished. This is why Christianity is unique. And I'm not being arrogant saying that. I'm just trying to relay exactly what is before me in John chapter 1 verses 1 to 18. And I'm even restricting myself to that. The knowledge of God is within your grasp. So are you listening? Oh, you've, have you zoned out? Please don't. Because God has made his purposes known as well. That's the second point. Here is exactly why he has come. Because just as he's made himself known through Jesus by becoming a man, he has revealed his purposes to bring life, serious, real, spiritual life to men and women. 
We read in here that he came as a bearer of grace and truth. Verse 17, law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth. Truth to counter the lies we believe about God and about ourselves. And life and grace to counter the sin that we so readily commit. These are the things that are of our human condition that required the God of all the universe to take on flesh and come even to die on a cross to pay the price for all of our sins. This is the best news you will ever hear in your life. It's good news that he came as a bearer of grace and truth, you know, because God could have chosen to come in flesh as judge and executioner. And all of us to be found guilty before him and sentenced to eternal punishment in hell. But he did not come in flesh that way. The word, the son of God, became flesh to reveal a divine glory. The glory of God that is what? It's gracious. It doesn't give us what we deserve. And it's life-giving. It's not intended to bring you death. It's intended to bring life. And he has appeared plainly that we might believe in him. That we might believe in him. Because true life, true spiritual life in the Son is found through faith in him. By believing in him, by putting your trust in him. Because he came carrying grace. God has sent heralds who are called to encourage that belief in him and the reception, to receive that very grace. This is what you see in verse 7. John uh, came as a... uh, uh, Where is it? Verse 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. Notice through him. Not on him. The aim of the preacher's testimony. The aim of every believer who takes the name of Jesus onto their lips. That includes you, brothers and sisters. As we share this, is to encourage faith in Jesus Christ. To see him for who he is. To the extent that when people ask John later on, Who are you? He says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice declaring the word. Listen, friends, God has so mercifully, graciously provided clear testimony for us as to who Jesus is through his own appearing by becoming flesh and through the testimony of witnesses like John the Baptist, like many others throughout the course of this gospel that we will come to know. It's incredible that, isn't it? Even for those of us who are believers here, thinking about how we as a church reach, build and send. How we take this gospel and use it. How we share it. God's wisdom evidently here dictates that his son's identity and purpose should be heralded, should be announced, should be proclaimed by people that he sends. And he sends each and every one of us. So is the fact that the eternal son of God becoming man for the purposes of the faith of those who will put their trust in him Is that on your radar just now thinking, how am I going to share this this week? Is this going to have any kind of impact on those that I come into contact with? It's had impact on all of you. Why should it not have impact on anyone else? Let's open our mouths. Let's declare 
this word. God has gone to great effort to make himself known. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I wonder what your response is. Generally, there are only two. And we see these uh, tied up in this text. There are two responses. Some respond by rejecting him. There's a sadness about this, isn't there? Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In other words, he came, the image here is of of him coming to his own property, like an owner returning to his own house, perhaps. It's his by virtue of his creation. The owner comes to his own home and at first is not recognized, but then it it goes beyond that, really. The the owner is actually prevented from entering it and is turned away. This paints a picture for us, really, of the scandal of the world's rejection of its creator. And it should impact on us that the light who came into the world to show us the truth, graciously so, to stop us bouncing off the things that cause us pain and injury as a result of our sin in this world, and these things we experience daily, instead of walking around in darkness, he brings a new dawn, a new light for us that we might see clearly and see him for who he is and have life, true life. But people prefer darkness. We'll see that as we walk through John. Because although the light that enlightens some is embraced, others just scurry away. When I was in Rwanda a few years ago, there was barely a night passed without me being wakened by the scuffling of a cockroach. Uh, robust little things. I, I'd turn my torch on um, uh, with bravery and shine it on the little critter, and you know it would run. It was as if my torch was burning a hole in its back. You know, it just scurried away for the darkest place. And you know, sometimes I feel that when the light of God's truth comes into our lives, that's exactly what we do. Where can I hide? <laughs> la 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 scurry away any which way you want to do it people clamber for cover and sadly hate the light they hate the thought of their lives being exposed by it and as a result they can reject the truth and don't misunderstand this this isn't just a case of people getting their mathematics wrong this is a conscious willful rejection of God's truth And humbly, friends, if you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, may I warn against that. And see the joy of those in this text and in John's gospel of those who say, I know him and I receive him. To these, he gives the right to become children of God. Look at verse 12 with me. To all who received him, now, what does it mean to receive him? Look at what it says on, onwards. To those who believed in his name. His name is essentially uh, uh, just encompassing everything that is about him, about Jesus. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. How close can you get? Remember I was talking earlier about you get to know someone by living with them? My daughter knows me well. 
She is a child of Garvey. You know, we get to become children of God. How intimate. The eternal Son of God comes into this world that we may know God who created us. He condescends to the extent that he can know me, I can know him, and I'm his child and he's my father. But friends, this is the truth that is open to all. This is the message of the gospel that should be proclaimed to all. Let's take hold of it as a church. Let's get what it means to be a child of God and let's proclaim it. This incredible status granted to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And John also tells us something so important here. We are not naturally children of God. There is only one way to become a child of God. Even though we are made and created by him, that does not qualify us. In his eyes, we may be physically alive, but because we do not worship him, we are counted as spiritually dead. But here we see we are given the right to become children of God, not by descent, not by descent, so children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husband's will, not by descent, not by desire, not even by decision, but because God, born of God, because God awakens us to life that is in him and enables us through his illumination and his revelation of himself to behold his glory. It's incredible. You're not able to save yourself. I picture this like God doing what every Facebook user hates. You know that thing where you leave yourself logged in? And then someone hacks into your account and updates your status for you to change it and enter some ridiculous lie. Well, it's as if God, by being born of God, means that he hacks your status and changes your status for you. So you are changed from Liam Garvey, sinner. Liam Garvey, saved. He hacks in and he changes you. You are born of God. It is not You're not born of God by descent, by desire, or by decision, but by his grace. It's incredible. These things are written, friends, brothers and sisters, that you may believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, this divine word that I've been speaking about tonight, you may have life in his name. That's that's what is held out to us. That's what we were made for, to know God. So what should you be aiming for in life to know God? What is the eternal life which Jesus gives? It is to know God as his child. And what in human beings brings God most pleasure and knowledge of himself? Incredibly, God in the person of Jesus Christ has made himself known. What we see in him is glory. What we receive from him is grace. So what we should ask of him now is forgiveness. And what we should give to him now is our worship and our lives. Knowing that what he gives to us is life. eternal life have you taken hold of that have you 
understood that God has made himself known to you for the purposes of your life, that you may be saved and that you may know him. Let me encourage you. Put your faith and trust in him and know life eternal and reconciliation with the almighty God tonight. Let's pray. thank you our great God that as we walk through John's gospel in these coming days we will see God act we will hear God speak and we will continually hear the call to have life and life in his name Lord For many of us, the darkness is thick, yet your light pushes back that darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. May we all put our faith and trust in you if we are not believers now and confess our sin, acknowledging that you, almighty God, came into this world in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ to live the perfect life that we could never live to proclaim the glorious truth of the gospel to perform signs and wonders which accent and show your godness Jesus and that you died on the cross as our substitute taking our sin upon yourself so that we might be free and thank you that you rose again three days later declaring to all who put their faith and trust in you that you are returning to your Father and our Father, to your God and our God. May that be our testimony. And may we who are believers here in Charlotte Chapel, may this message that you have gone to such great lengths to communicate to us May we open our mouths and let the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ spill forth. And may we be amazed at what you do, seeing men and women born into the kingdom, into this family of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.